For those of you here for the first time, we're doing a series called What's Love Got to Do With It? Because as a force, love can do more damage or more good to your life than probably any other thing. You've got love in you because you're made in the image of God. And that love can make your life so good or it can completely destroy and ruin everything for you. It depends whether you guide that love through the scriptures, through the Bible, through the good advice that we have been given. You see, if left unchecked, if left unguided, this is so, so, so destructive. And we've begun over the first few weeks looking at a few myths, and goodness knows there's, there's plenty of them surrounding love. The first myth, we did some myth-busting. And the first, first myth we needed to get rid of was the needle-in-a-haystack mentality. What's that? Well, that's the idea that you might have. The idea that there's one person on this planet that will love you. And the task of life is to find them. That's, that's a joke. There's thousands of people who could love you. And there's thousands of people in whom you could fall in love. Doesn't mean it's God's will. But it's a fact. It's not a needle in a haystack. Of course God has an A plan. And if you miss the A plan, he'll give you, he's a gracious God. He'll give you the B plan or the C plan. Right? So of course we're looking for God's A plan. But you understand in relation to love, you are quite capable of falling in love with, you know, several people. And so Song of Songs warns us about this with some very good advice. It says this, do not awaken love until God brings the A plan. You've got love in you. Now don't wake it up. Do not awaken love before the appointed time. So when you know that the person that has come into your life is the one that God wants, then you have permission in God to wake up your love. Right? If only people knew this. True? If only we could see this and see that God is a good God who's given love for good purposes, not to destroy lives, but to bless lives. If only we could keep love within the confines that God gives. So firstly, get rid of the needle in a haystack mentality. Secondly, get rid of the nobody loves me mentality because it's not true. Get rid of the world has the best sex mentality. That's another myth. Let me tell you, the world, in terms of sex, the world has got nothing to offer you except frustration and disappointment. A guy goes into town, he picks up a girl at a nightclub. They go back to his place. He gets her into bed. They sleep together. They have sex. And you know what? As soon as they're finished, he can't wait to get away from her. She can't wait to get away from him. Because sex outside of marriage in the world takes from you, sucks out of you, the goodness, any goodness in you. And yet, that's sex in the world. But when God gives a beautiful thing he calls eros, it's the exact opposite. And when a couple are married under God and they make love to one another, it drives them closer together. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, folks, do not, especially you younger folk here, do not be deceived. In terms of sex, the devil has got nothing to offer. He will take from you. He's out to destroy you, so don't be fooled. 
and other myth is I will always feel in love with my wife or with my husband. In love. Well, the in love phase of, of a relationship is really the early stages. And as I said last week, I recommend C.S. Lewis on this, but scientific studies show us that when a couple come together and they're, 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 they're in love with one another, it causes a chemical reaction in the brain, releases dopamine and some other stuff that actually give you a physical reaction. And that lasts about 18 to 30 months. That's just a fact. But I see that as quite understandable. Because you can't stay in, the, in love mode. You'll never get anything done. People who are in love, they can't do their work, right? They're distracted. And it's not that you're not, it's, it's that we continue loving our partners. You grow in love, which follows the in love phase, if you know what I mean. We'll deal with that in weeks to come. Today, what we're going to look at is the differences between men and women. A little bit more complex than it sounds. The differences between men and women. For a start, you know when it comes to love, loving, men are completely differently orientated than women, you know. For, for example, a man looks, it's outward. A man looks for a woman he can love. He's not asking her, do you love me, do you love me? The man's look, it's outward. The man's looking for a woman to love. But the woman, it's the reverse. It's inward. She's the receiver. She's looking for someone to love her. The direction is different. The design is different in God. There are some very, very obvious differences, obviously, between men and women. Communication is a massive one. In the States recently, they did a study. They got a load of female scientists and a load of male scientists, and they separated them, sent them off, and they said, we want you to come back and tell us, should a computer be referred to as a he or as a she? Right? So the women went one way, the men went the other way, and they did their research, and up, up they came. The women said a he, because to get their attention, you have to turn them on. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Secondly, they're supposed to solve problems, and half the time they are the problem. <laughs> and as soon as you commit to one, you realize there was a better model coming out later if you'd only waited. Oh. The men... They came back and said, no, 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 no. You shouldn't call computers he. Computers should be called she. Why? Because nobody understands them anyway. Because every mistake you make is held in long-term memory. Ouch. And as soon as you commit one, you spend all your money on accessories for it. Okay. There are some differences, profound, some differences trite between men and women. Communication, as I say, is a massive one. Women are far better in the area of communicating. Women like to talk and talk and talk. Sorry. <laughs> but men tend to be a little bit more reserved, tend to hold their peace a little, maybe think a bit more and not be so willing to share. Our son is a very good example of this. Oh, you could drag information out of him. He won't say anything. You know, he could go on a round-the-world trip. And come back and sit down. You say, oh, wow, how was it? Great. <laughs> you, did you go to Australia? Yep. What happened in Australia? Good. Ah, oh, James. He will not communicate. And that can be a very, very, very frustrating thing. Especially for women, right? They sit there and they talk to me. Another theological difference between men and women is that men don't have handbags. Now, and by the way, women, if you meet a man with a handbag, don't marry him. Because the wrong guy... <laughs> 
I, I tell you the truth. And this is honest, and I've said this to Jeanette many, many times. I hate her handbag. I absolutely hate this, especially this current one. She's had other ones that were better. The reason I hate this one is because it's so small. And she says it's cute. Cute? It drives me nuts. Every time you've got to get anything, everything has to come out. And then everything has to go back in. Crazy stuff. You know, and another thing. She thinks her handbag is the answer to every problem known to man. I say, what time is it? Straighten the handbag. What day is it? Straighten the handbag. I came home hungry. I said, we got any chicken? She looks in the handbag. I mean, come on. What's a chicken going to be doing in there? There are differences, male to female. And the better self-understanding we get, the easier it will be for us to get on. Right? So we should start early. Look at the differences, especially those spelled out in Scripture. Very famous band called U2 released a, a hit single. And the title of it, I think, would be the way many a young man or young woman would describe themselves. The title was this. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I challenge that concept, that belief. Because I don't know that, it's, that you haven't found what you're looking for. I think it's a bit prior to that. I think you don't know what you're looking for. I think most people don't know what they're looking for. And so if God was to present that person to you, you wouldn't recognize them anyway because our programming has been so messed up by the world. We take a child at seven, eight, nine, and they get their CD player and they get their first band that they like, their hip-hop or whatever it is, and they start getting their earphones in and listening to all this stuff which is about relationships. 99% of it is about relationships. And they listen to that music from their about 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They go home, they watch the soaps on the telly. What are the soaps about? Relationships. Wrong relationships. And you see, by the time a person gets to 18, 19, 20, they don't even know what they're looking for. They're so confused, so messed up with what they've heard and been told. And here we are, the church, trying to give them God's information. They can't cope. And we've got to watch the information that our children are getting. Amen. And try and keep them on the straight and narrow. We're going to talk in generalities today because that's a, a very good place to start. Before you get specific about things, start understanding the big picture before we go anywhere. We're going to ask two questions. What are men looking for in women? And what are women looking for in men? And how do the scriptures sort of tie this all together so that we can take out the good and, and keep it and dump the bad? The biggest survey to be done in this area was done in 2005 where they took thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. Single, married, divorced, widowed, old, young, a complete cross-section of society. And they took them apart and they did a survey with them. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them. And they said, what are the top 10 things that you're looking for? They asked the women and a man. And they took all the men. What are the top 10 things you're looking for in a woman? And it's kind of interesting, you see, because you know what it's like. Sometimes somebody asks a question and you're thinking, that's the question I wanted to ask. That was on my mind. I just couldn't 
articulate it. And it's good to, to get a, a self-understanding in terms of what men are looking for to understand them. And it's good to get an understanding of what women are looking for. So the list is quite simple. That's it. The ten things women said, the ten things men said. And I'm going to work my way through these today and just look at them. And I hope as we do, you'll begin to understand yourself more and understand others more. For a start, look at what the men said. Number one, they wanted sexual fulfillment. Now look at me, guys. Please, don't look at that like a tabloid headline. Don't take a cheap reaction to the fact that the man says he's looking for sexual fulfillment. I hope you can read into it a little bit more than that. You see, look, the man is made to lay his life down for a woman. He's talking about eros. He's talking about a sacrifice here. He's talking about what he's made for. Do you know the reason we have a Bible? The reason you exist is because God the Father wanted a bride for his son. That's why we're here. It's all about Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. And you see, when the man says, he doesn't know quite how to put it. He doesn't know how to express it. You see? But he just knows that inside him, he's looking for an object for his affection. He's looking to lay his life down for someone. And clumsily, maybe, the man comes out and he says, oh, I think I want sexual fulfillment. Okay, we can understand that, I hope. Now remember, sex is, is oh, Wow. The day in which we live, has this ever been more of a torment and a twisted issue as it is today? Absolutely. And I would remind you, I come from a Catholic background, so sex for me was confined to the area of just having babies. That was it. And when I got saved, I needed some really good biblical proof that that was not the case. Well, you don't have to look too far. See, when a man talks about sexual fulfillment, he's not just talking about having babies. Right? And the Bible is very clear about why sex was given. It was given because it will bring unity. Genesis 2 verse 24. Sex brings unity between the husband and the wife. Like nothing else can do. Like nothing else can do. It brings you together. It's a mystery, the scripture says. It's a mystery which no one understands. The two become one. You can't put that in words, I'm afraid. Sex was given for comfort. Comfort of the man to the woman, the woman to the man. Genesis 24. You can see how Isaac was comforted. Of course sex was given for procreation so that we can populate the earth. Genesis 1. But it was also given as a defense against temptation. And Paul says that partners should not deny one another sexually lest they fall into temptation. Okay? So you begin to see that People who would tell me that sex is just <laughs> about babies, I'm sorry, that is not what God says. That is not what God says. Do you know the animal kingdom, when an animal, female animal gets pregnant, the breasts enlarge. And the animal will feed its young. And when it's finished feeding its, lung, its young, the breasts will not stay full. Do you know a woman is the only creature on earth whose breasts remain full for the whole life? Why? Well, Song of Songs tells you why. It says that my lover is nestled between my two breasts. Not my baby. Not my baby. My lover. I'm just saying, folks, it's high time that the church began to communicate 
the truths about this. Amen. Because goodness knows there's enough rubbish out there about the area of sex. It is a glorious thing. It is a beautiful thing. And please, I, I urge you folks, do not underestimate it when the man says he's looking for sexual fulfillment. I hope you can see beyond that, beyond a tabloid impression of it. He's looking for the fulfillment of what he's made to be, to love a woman, to lay his life down for her. That's what he means. Secondly, for the man, he wanted a recreational mate, someone to spend time with. Maybe you don't realize how important that, that, that is. The best marriages are always the marriages in which the partners are friends. So you can talk to one another. I think it's very sad, you know, because we do marriage counseling. You meet couples and you say, you know, tell me about your husband. Where did the problem start? Would you describe your husband as your friend? And they say, what? My friend? No, 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 no. Oh, I love him. I love my husband. Oh, I'd never leave my husband. I love him. But my friend? No, 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 not my friend. That's a sad thing. Because you need, to, you need to develop that. You need to work on that. Your husband, your wife should be your best friend, your closest friend, someone with whom you relax, someone with whom you learn to spend time, to walk, to talk. See, this is the man's expression of philia love. Remember the four loves? This is his expression of companionship love. And you yearn that. You yearn for that. Right? And when you, you know, come together, you can enjoy each other's company in recreational things, and that's great. They said, the men, here we go, number three. What do you most want in a wife? They said they wanted a beautiful wife. The third most important thing, beauty is in the heart. Amen. Beauty is within. And this is a, it's something that Peter warns the women to look after themselves after marriage, you know. Because I've, I've done many weddings, I can tell you, and the more glamorous the bride the greater the downfall often is. You know, you see them in about six months' time or a year or something. Is that that same woman? She could be sued under the Trades Descriptions Act. She's so different. Right? Especially when they start having babies. Women, get smart. Get smart. That's dangerous. You better keep yourself in good condition. And Peter says this. It's one of his first pieces of advice about marriage guidance. Women, look after yourselves. That's what he says. Look after yourselves. Make yourself presentable to your husband. Make yourself a wife that he would be proud of. Amen. Amen. <laughs> oh, very quiet. A beautiful wife. He's looking for a homemaker. Easy, guys. That doesn't mean somebody to do the cleaning and the washing and the dishes and etc., etc., etc. I think it's always best when those things are shared. Every house has their own rules. Every house has their own setup. That's fine. You sort yourself out. But be fair. Be fair with the work around the house. Make sure it's, it's shared and you're not putting too much weight or taking advantage of your partner. Either way. Right? You see some terrible examples in this. The only reason our house gets cleaned is because you guys come around. That's it. <laughs> if it wasn't for you calling, we would be in an awful place, I tell you. And I say, you know, if, if somebody's coming, right? You know, we do it together. Let's go. I'll go upstairs and I'll start cleaning. She'll start cleaning and I'll say, I've done the bathroom. And she goes, okay. Yeah. You know what that means? The women do. It means I'll do it in a minute myself and this time I'll do it properly. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, she's right. And I know she's right, so you just say nothing. 
You see, it's the homemaker bit. And I can do the bathroom, I can do the living room. But it's not quite right, is it? Still something missing. They call it a woman's touch. That's what they call it. Last Christmas was absolutely fantastic at home. We had both our boys home, Tom and James. And I can do all the stuff I do. I can, you know, do, and I do lots and lots of stuff to get that ready. But I tell you this, friends, without the mum, I don't think we would have had anything. Without her input, there would have been nothing there. It's a woman's touch. It's absolutely crucial. And the man is looking for a homemaker, someone who knows how to do that, someone who knows how to add that extra little something into the occasion. Very crucial role and a lovely role. Number five is a big deal. The man is looking for admiration. Pastor Jeff was sharing with us a little while ago. He says one of the worst feelings he ever has in his life is if he feels that Pearl is not respecting him. If he feels that in some ways she's starting to lose respect, he feels worse about that than anything else on earth. And I can absolutely echo that opinion. When we got married, I I, I just tell you guys, and how many of you know this already, but for the first two years, I was a dreadful, dreadful, dreadful husband. Absolutely atrocious. And she deserves a medal for for seeing me through that. I was, I was ridiculous, absolutely absurd. And one day, I was just in a bad mood, you know, and I was complaining about this, that, and the other, and I turned to her and I said, I'm going for a walk. And her reply, and I mean this, and I'm not exaggerating, her reply changed my life forever, and I've never turned back since. She turned to me and she said, Michael, the devil wants me to disrespect you and I am not going to do it. That was a long walk I took. (laughs) I had a lot of thinking to do because that just hit, you know, the word of God slices between the, the marrow, that hit right into my heart and I had to go and think about myself, slap myself, you know. What are you like? When are you gonna grow up? What's wrong with you? And I came back different. I came back changed. You see, a man chooses a woman that in whom he sees more virtue than himself. He chooses a woman who he sees on higher ground morally than himself. And he believes that somehow he will become his better self. That she will be able to help him to be that. And of course, it's in her because she's the helpmate. That's what she's there for. That's her role. And she can fulfill that. It's the next point. Admiration from moral virtue. The man wants to see moral virtue in you. He's looking for it. Something that will help. You know, your wife is your helpmate. That doesn't mean she does the dishes. Well, she might do the dishes. (laughs) But what it means is she's there to help you up. There to help you become the person you should be. And you know as well as I do, I've lost count of the number of people where you see that in action, you know, where you'll see immense moral fiber within the wife and you'll see the man moving towards that. And that's pretty much, I think, as it should be. Whatever you do, don't get the idea that your helpmate is someone who does the housework. I heard a story about a man who goes to the doctor, you know, he's got a bad back and he goes, ah, yeah, ah. 
comes in. The doctor says, what did you do? Sit down. And he examines his back and he says, goodness, you've done some damage. What did you do? He said, well, I was picking up this box and it was so heavy. I was trying to get it onto my wife's back, you know. <laughs> and some people see it like that. They think it's a, it's a workhorse, but it's not a workhorse. And if you think of it as that, you're missing the whole point. The point is, yes, they're to help you, but help you to do what? Help you to become the person that God has made you to be. So for heaven's sake, ladies, be a woman of moral virtue. Especially today. Watch the way you dress, for example. Some of the dress codes are really slipping. <laughs> Don't look around. You got it. Don't be part of the problem in today's society. Don't be part of the problem. Be part of the solution. You know, we're made to finish the picture. If I say ABC, what do you say? Some of you didn't get it. <laughs> One, two, three. See, man, you're made to complete the picture. And so if you wear a low top, if your cleavage is exposed, the man who looks at you, he's made to finish the picture. And then you have presented him with that problem. You have done that. You should have covered yourself up. So watch yourself. For heaven's sake, use your head. Take a look in the mirror, because some of you mustn't do that, before you come out. You're going to wear low riders? Do you know what low riders are? They're low jeans. Well, then you best have a t-shirt on, because I don't want to see your belly, and I certainly don't want to see your backside. Okay? Just being practical, folks. You never mind coming to church. You shouldn't go out of the house like that. And if you can't bend over to pick some, something up without half your pants falling down, grow up. Get dressed. You need to be taught to dress, do you? Yes, they do, don't they, Mike? <laughs> they do. And you, it should never be. So watch the way you dress and don't let yourself be a source of temptation because that's what you will be. And you don't want to do that. Maybe you're just not thinking. So dress appropriately. A man is looking for that. I wouldn't like to tell you what I think of women when I can see their cleavage. It's, I struggle to respect them. And I want to. I'm thinking, oh, I want to respect you, but you're just so, I don't know, I won't put a word to it. I really won't. I struggle then, I have to pray, God, help me to respect this person and keep them in high regard because I'm really struggling. And I don't know, husbands, you need to advise your wives if they're leaving the house inappropriately dressed. You need to say to them, you know what, that's not appropriate. It really isn't. You're going to church, not going to the beach. I better stop there. <laughs> so moral virtue. The man is looking for moral virtue in the woman. And you need to be that. And then that, that just works beautifully together. He's looking for a sense of humor. I had no idea what a sense of humor was in a relationship. I didn't know that we had that. My parents didn't have that. My mom and dad had a great marriage for 60 years. Loved each other deeply. It was, it was, it was excellent. But humor wasn't part of it. He didn't laugh too much when my wife died, I can tell you. Humor wasn't there. It wasn't part of the solution. If they had an argument, they had an argument. You know, that was it. <laughs> and it wasn't until after I got married that I actually realized how this thing can work. You know, we'd be having an argument and she starts laughing. It's completely blindsided me. You know, what are you laughing at? We'll laugh later. It's not a time to laugh. It's supposed to be arguing. And you suddenly, it's contagious. Because you, 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 you take that in, you think, oh, I see. I can laugh it off, can I? 
And of course you can. A sense of humor is a massively beneficial thing. What gives you strength? Where do you get strength from in life? Joy. Joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And how do you get a strong marriage? Joy. Get some joy into it. The joy of, of your marriage can be that. Joy in your marriage can be your strength. So keep laughing. Keep smiling. He's looking, she, sorry, he, he's looking for a sense of humor. He's looking for intelligence in a wife. And that is guidance and advice. It's a very crucial role, I feel. God has given women a particular slant on wisdom that the man doesn't have. Contrary to common belief, all the decisions in our house, all we make together. I wouldn't do anything without asking Jeanette first and talking it over and, you know, reasoning together. She sees things I'll never see. And even if I want to do something, if she's not happy, let it go. Just drop it. Just don't do it. Because I'm probably missing something. Now, every now and again, I get a strong fit. I say, no, I know you don't agree, but we're still going to do this. You know? So I'm not afraid to lead. Don't be afraid to lead, men. But understand that the woman definitely has wisdom there given by God. And as a man, as a husband, you're a fool if you don't listen to that. Always stay, always listen to your wife, right? Because she will see things you'll never see. Perceive things that you'll never perceive. And you need to weigh that in the balance and know what you're going to act on and what you're not going to act on. And lastly, the men were looking for a woman that they could trust and a woman who would be honest with them. Honest about what? Honest about the past, to begin with. You're going to tell me the truth, are you? He's looking for a woman who's going to tell him the truth about her past, the truth about her present, where she is and how she is, and the truth about the future, that you're not harboring any, you know, ill feelings or, or secret plans. You need to lay down your life. So the man's aspirations are pretty good. And women, you would do very well to look at that. To take a good look at that list and see how you can fulfill the man in your marriage by meeting all of those needs. Right? Now look at the woman. Number one thing the women said they wanted was a godly man. Now I ask you girls, listen, if you're looking, for, if you're praying for a godly man, what sort of woman does a godly man deserve? you better be godly then. I guess a godly man doesn't deserve a rebellious woman then. And he won't be looking for one, will he? A godly man won't you know, be looking for a carnal woman. He'll be looking for a godly woman. So therefore, if that's what you're praying for, you better be that thing. You better be concentrating on being the right person, becoming the right person, like we said last week. She's looking for a godly man. The woman is looking for romance. Uh-oh. <laughs> Easy does it. Women get carried away on the romance thing, don't you know? Right? Very, very carried away. Let me say something, and this is an important point for the whole series. So, what's the number one thing that you need to know and to obey when it comes to choosing a partner, a husband or a wife? The number one thing is God's word, God's will. It's not love. Oh, but I don't know if I love them. <laughs> you can't expect me to marry them if I don't love them. Hang on a minute. About probably half the marriages in the world, people get married because, you know, and they don't fully love the partner yet. 
God is love, but love is not God. Love can't be your God. You're not going to marry someone because you've fallen in love with them by mistake, right? Love is not God. God is love. It's a completely different thing. So, for example, I could give you plenty of examples. My mom and dad, for a start, I said to my mom when I was a child, you fell in love with daddy then. No. What? That came later, she said. I think of two of our overseers, Shane and Susan Comiskey. They are two of the most in love people you could ever meet. But listen to their testimony. Susan's working away in the church and Shane comes and says, God has spoken to me that you are to marry me. And she says, not on your Nelly. And she's off. No. You see, he says, okay, but God spoke to me. I don't know you. No chance. A few months go by. He comes back and says, well, have you thought about it? Yeah, but no, I'm, I'm not doing nothing. You know, not my type sort of thing. A few more months go by. Shane comes back. God spoke to me and says, you are to marry me. And she says, well, I'll seek God then. And God spoke to her. He said, you're to marry that man. And she did without having any feelings, any warmth, any love for him. Love is not God, is it? She obeyed God. And later, they completely and utterly love one another. Right? Roy and Leela, same thing. That was an arranged marriage. They come from India. That was an arranged marriage. They'd only met each other, but a very successful marriage. The love came later. So love it, don't let love, see with the romance, the woman wants romance. Love is not your God, kid. Don't make love your God. Don't let love rule your life. Let God rule your life. And he will sort things out later. So number one is the will of God. Letting him guide you. And he, he'll, make, he'll do a good job, amen? amen? You'll definitely have love there in that marriage and he'll see to it because it's his responsibility when you obey him. So women particularly be careful around the romance issue. The women also said they wanted a sense of humor, you know, and goodness knows they're probably going to need it. <laughs> Fourthly, they said they want communication, and communication, again, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an issue of weakness in men. See, this, women know that. Ah, I want a man who'll talk to me. Not too much, though, you know what I mean. <laughs> I want a man who'll talk to me. A man who will communicate. And the trouble is, you see, men just shut up. They just stop so often, especially with problems. The way of dealing about it, clam up. That's not going to answer anything. You know when there's a disaster or something, like a child gets murdered or something like that? Time after time after time, the couple come on the television. They walk in, the cameras are all there. They sit down. Who talks? Every time. The husband's sitting there. Go on, tell him. You tell him. <laughs> And he doesn't say a word. We're, what's that all about? See, she's able to communicate. He's struggling to get that out. He's struggling to express himself. But the woman doesn't have the same difficulty. She's built differently. The brain is different. And she's able to communicate far more readily, far more easily. But that's not going to help in a marriage, you know. So whether it's a disaster or whether it's Friday night prayer. Now, this church is not typical. We've got loads of strong men here. But in a typical church, in, in, in prayer meetings... Uh, this, I'm afraid it's, it's the women who do most of the praying. And the men often sit quiet and don't participate in the way they should. And experience tells me one thing. Do you know what the men need? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's what they need. 
I know, because I was very reserved. I know I probably don't believe that. People never do. But it's true. I would be at the very back row this morning. I was coming to this church. I'd be the first one out. A very shy and reserved person, you see. And when God called me first into ministry, I had a word. And the word was to preach, you know. And I complained to God about that. I can't do that. I can't express. I was very unexpressive. I can't express myself. How can I do that? And of course, I didn't know about this thing, this baptism in the Holy Ghost, which enables you to communicate. Guys, do you know some of you? That's all you need. Some of you, everything else is there. It's not just for a pulpit. Hello. It's for at home to communicate love to your wife, to talk openly and freely. See, that's why they drink, by the way. That's why they all go out, all the men go out and time a few pints. Because the drink does what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. It makes them love people. You see? A few pints. Supposed to be the Holy Spirit. The drink makes them talk and talk and talk and talk, right? You see? It's it's a substitute. It gives them lots of confidence. And it's a substitute. Don't go for it. You need men. You need not to be filled with alcohol. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in relationships. The guys are out drinking because they can't. They've got too many inhibitions. And they can't open up to women, but they want to. So they get drunk. You see, that's, to be, that, that's a sad thing. Don't get drunk. Be filled, as Acts says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And learn how to communicate. Seek God for that. You're going to need that. That's the heart and soul of a marriage is the communication that goes on within it. The woman's looking for communication. The woman is looking for honesty. Same as the man, actually. He had it at number 10. She's got it at number 5. <laughs> The woman's looking for a provider. Fact. What is the number one reason today why young men don't get married? Money. Money. It's a fact. Statistical fact. The number one reason men don't want to get married is because they don't want the burden, the financial burden, of being married. You see? They can see the stress coming. Marriage is for adults. Marriage is for grown-ups, guys. It's not for kids. Not a child's play here. Marriage is for adults. And you need, if you're getting married and you're a guy, the woman is saying, I need a provider. And she's absolutely right. Because once you get married, if you say you're a man, you overspend, you're going to have to stop overspending. You're going to have to get that, you know, bad word, budget. You're going to have to get a budget. You're going to have to change your single ways and adapt to be the provider. And you need to be that biblically and in every other way. It's your responsibility. If you're not willing to do that, you shouldn't be getting married. And that needs to be fair. If the woman is overspending, you need to stop it because you're married now. You need to take responsibility for what you've just done. You've just got hitched and that's it. Everything changes from this point on. And men, you need to be very fair with your wives. I had a guy come to me having trouble with his marriage. And we sit down and we're talking. He's a nice guy and I'm working through it and I can't get to the bottom of this. And I've done, I, at one point I thought, I tell you what, tell me about the finances in the house. Oh, everything's fine financially. And he just carried on talking, you know. The marriage is in trouble, eh? Tell me about the finances. Oh, everything's fine financially. How much do you earn? Just tell me how much you earn. And he told me the amount of money he earned. Okay. How much do you give your wife? And he started to explain. And if I remember correctly, I think he was keeping 
45% for himself, and he was giving her 55% for council tax, food, children, herself. I, hello, <laughs> now we've found what your problem is. Oh, well, that's fair, isn't it? So it's not even 50-50. She gets more than I do. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. She's supposed to pay the, the bills and get the food and clothe the kids and look after herself with 55%? You must be joking. Your house is built on injustice. I'm not surprised your wife's not happy. Husband, it's your responsibility to put a smile on your wife's face. That's not a joke. Don't put the pressure on her. Don't dump on her. She should be getting about 80, 85% of that money. If you expect her to pay all the bills, any of the men want to leave, you can leave now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not fair, is it? It's not fair. You shouldn't dump on your wife because the man is the provider. He's the primary provider. And actually, now I know all houses work differently. That's absolutely fine. You work out something that works for you. I'm just saying, guys, you know, it's not 1960. Because some men give their wives money, as if it were. And you need to be able to, you need to be happy with it both ways. In other words, in that situation, a good exercise to do would be to swap. I tell you what, sir, you pay the bills. You take 55% and you pay all the bills, get the kids sorted, do the food. And we'll give your wife 45 and see how you like it. <laughs> Amen? It's a serious business. And you're going to get, a, you're going to have an unhappy home. Your job is to take the pressure off your wife and to provide for her and to give to her liberally. Because why? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Never mind money. He gave his life for the church. Love works. Like we said last week, love works. She's looking for a provider. She's looking for a family man. And this is hard to get, especially today. The whole area of discipline and prayer within the home, it just falls apart so quick. And husbands, please pray with your wives. Take a time aside every day. You do it. You don't wait for her to call you. Don't wait for her to suggest it. Start today, this day. Go home and say, tonight we're going to pray. Have communion. Have communion together with your wife, with your family at home. You take the lead and you watch how she will blossom because she'll feel covered and everything will improve. I thank God for my father. He was just brilliant in this. Absolutely excellent. All my life, I would be up in my room and every night the prayer call would go out. Prayers! There was nine of us, the big family. Everybody had to come down until you were about 16 or 17 and then you weren't required to. But up until that age, you would come and pray and he would pray for about 10, 15 minutes every night and then you were free to go. But he taught us from a young age the importance of prayer and so I have never had an issue with this all my life because it was all I ever knew. And then just a natural prayer. And that's really such a good example. She's looking for a family man. Looking for someone who will take the lead and pray within the home. Looking for someone who will discipline the children if and when they need it. And not leave that to her. You need to respect one another in this area. Very important. If the husband is disciplining the child, mom, shh. Quiet. You disagree. You got something to say. You can wait until the child's gone. And then you can talk about it. Don't 
countermand your husband in front of the kids and vice versa. If your wife is disciplining the children and the child is trying to get you, true, to take their side, don't fall for it. You support your wife. And if you don't agree, talk about it when the children are not present. You see, that's all she's asking for. A family man who will respect her. You see what she's saying? Men, you see what the women are saying? I want a family man who will take his position but respect mine. That's all. I want a man who knows how to lead the home, how to work a budget, how to pray with us together, how to discipline. Hey, hang on, what's the women doing here? The men doing all the work away. <laughs> I want a man who, who will pray. I want a man who will discipline the children and not be afraid to and not dump that on me. I want him to lead. And I want to be able to be the mum in the house. Let me be that. And that's a perfectly good request. She's looking for a man who will take his position but who will respect hers and let her do her job and support her in it. She's looking for leadership. I tell you, I'm amazed that this is number nine. What on earth is that doing at number nine? That should be way up there somewhere. Romance, that's where it should be. Look, see? <laughs> leadership. You need leadership within the home, and we live in a day, an age, where this has been attacked like it has never been attacked before. Now, let me say, especially to those of you watching by television, I'm not taking a pot shot in what I'm about to say. I'm not taking a pot shot at the Church of England or any other traditional church at all. I have the height of respect for any Christian church on this earth, any group of people who seek to follow God. But I want to say something about male clergy and about the way men are portrayed. So you go to a traditional church. It's Sunday. You come in, you sit down, like you guys are doing this morning. And out comes a man in a, a frock, right? Because that's what they call it. It's vestments. But just think about how this appears. Extract yourself from the situation. Out comes a man dressed in a frock. He goes up into the pulpit. And typically, all his mannerisms are effeminate. All his ways are, it's almost like a woman. He talks with a gentle voice. He wouldn't disturb a fly and he goes through the whole thing and his mannerisms his actions his tone it's all feminized and people sit there one vicar said i have a church full of old ladies of both sexes <laughs> because that's what it's like it's like you're preaching to a crowd and the men sitting in the crowd feel like women oh you know and they start to do all the actions of women it's a weird scenario when you think of it and then you get someone like Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Hallelujah. Send him in there. You get someone like Pastor Jeff who comes into a church like this and preaches and people think, what on earth is he? I've never seen that before. Yeah, because the, the clergy has been, you know, so feminized. And we don't know what men of God are anymore. And when we hear it, people walk out because they think it shouldn't be like this. No, it shouldn't be like that. Hello. Look at the men that Jesus chose. I mean, can you try, try put a frock on Paul? <laughs> Not going to get very far. Right? So we have a feminized leadership and men and try to. And you mustn't cooperate with that sort of thing. Leadership is male, predominantly. I've got nothing with female leaders, heavens above. This church is full of female leaders and our church internationally 
has got thousands of female leaders. That doesn't change the fact. Leadership still remains predominantly male. It's the nature of the way God has made us. That's just a fact. In fact, turn to it. Genesis chapter 3. Look at this. Genesis 3. This is a great piece of scripture. Genesis 3 and verse 16. Women, you would do very well to read this scripture and to learn what it's all about here, about leadership and being female. Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, this is God cursing the human race for the fall. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Uh, With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That's Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. uh, With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, do you see that verse? That's not what it says. In English, that's what it says. But in Hebrew, it doesn't say that. This is what it says. Your desire will be to rule over your husband. But he will rule over you. It doesn't actually say that. It's a bad translation. Your desire, woman, you need to know this, will be to rule him. Deep inside, you're going to want to rule him. You're going to want to tell him what to do. You understand what happened there about leadership being male? This is where it started. So here's Adam and Eve. Eve sinned. Eve disobeyed. And God comes to Eve and says, Right, because you have sinned, woman, from this point on, the man will rule. From this point on, I institute male leadership. Now, the church is a different issue. But within the home, the husband is the leader. And that's what God instituted there. So you are under your husband. Make no mistake about it. You're under his authority right from that statement was made. He will rule over you. But women will do very well to understand that part of the fallen nature leaves them with a little trait inside. A little rebellious trait that if left unchecked and unbroken can cause the woman to be a rebel in her own home. True. (laughs) Proverbs says the foolish wife tears her own house down by being a rebel. So you've got to break that and you can break it by the way If you break it, what God does is God gives you joy. He gives you joy in your heart. You can always tell a woman a mile away who has a rebellious, who's never dealt with this because they're finger pointers. This is wrong, that's wrong, this is wrong. And they've got no joy. Always very stern-faced, sad women because it's it's a sorry thing. And if you try to help, so often they they chase you away. I know because I, I understand this problem. Women can function in all manner of ways in the church and I'm fully in favor of it. But one thing you can't work with is rebellion. You see? So when I meet women like this, you try to say, look, gal, you got to submit like everybody else. You got to break that thing in you and you'll be far happier for it. So the women will do well to know that fallen nature will try to make them rebellious. But that's not God's design and you'll never prosper in your marriage, ministry, or relationships with that attitude. It's impossible. We've got to be broken. Men got to be broken too. And lastly, she's looking for faithfulness. Turn to the book of Ephesians. And I'll close with this. The book of Ephesians chapter 5. This is a great scripture. A great piece of advice from Paul. But I want to explain what it actually says. Reading between the lines here. Ephesians 5 and verse 22 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, verse 25, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me explain, because it's, it's very important, men. I'm going to talk to the men right now. See, when you read that scripture, it begins with this. Wives, submit to your husbands. And Paul is using a Hebrew term of writing. It's called hyperbole, where you make a statement that seems like the most important statement, only to follow it with what really is the most important statement. For example, in Proverbs, you'll read something like this. The horse is a mighty beast, but the lion is the king of the jungle. Do you know what I mean? So he makes a statement, but he follows it with hyperbole. He follows it with a real delivery. So, you see the point. Wives, submit to your husbands, Paul says, but he's not finished. And the crowning point, the more important point is in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. He's bringing it in with force, but again, we just can't see it because of the English. And for me, friends, the answer to everything, the key player in the marriage is the man. It's the man. It's the husband. You say, oh, hang on, that's not fair. That's the design of God. You see, here's God, and he, if he should be the head of the man. The head of the husband is Christ. And when the man is under, the, under Christ, and the wife is under him, if he receives the love of God, and he learns to minister to his wife and to cover her, do you know what he becomes? He becomes a prophet, a priest, and a king. He becomes everything that he was made by God to be. But he's got to lay down his life for it like Christ did for the church. He's got to enter into the marriage in full knowledge that he's laying down that life. He's got to present himself there and say, Right, God, with you as my Lord, I will serve my wife. I will love my wife. And the irony is, if you do that and you do it correctly, you become all that you're supposed to be and she will help you. That's your role as a woman. That's your role as a man. And it's perfect. It's beautiful if we just do it God's way. This list doesn't have to be yours. It's not mine. I didn't make it up. This is a list of Christians, thousands and thousands of them. And I advise you, take it home, have a think, and you need to start to know what you're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for, how will you know when you find it? You need to start to know what you're looking for. And you make your own list up. You might want to change some of those numbers. I would. I w wouldn't be my specific list. However, this is a generality. And from that, I take my specific. I take who I am and what my goals are. And those of you who are single, particularly, do that as an exercise. Make your list up. And then you'll know what you're looking for. Those of you who are married... Men, are you meeting the needs of the women? Women, are you meeting the needs of the men? Just invite the worship team back. Thank you, Lord. Just stand to your feet a second. And let's just pray. Just close your eyes and stay focused on what we have heard. Father, we repent of any worldliness within us. We don't want it in our homes, in our lives, in our marriages, or in any way. Lord, would you give us wisdom in all the relationships that we find ourselves in? Lord, father to son, father to daughter, mother to son, mother to daughter, husband to wife, 
in all these relationships, God, let the love of God come. Pour over us. Pour over us this morning. Lord, once again, forgive us for foolishness. Make us wise to the ways of God. I pray for every marriage here. Lord, that you will bless the fathers, bless the husbands. You will bless the mums and the wives to be all they should be. Give them patience with their husbands to lift them up and to support them. Help us to love our children and to, to raise them up in a godly fashion. God, for those who are engaged, I pray your grace to come upon this time for them. You'd see them through it. And for those who are single, God, would you bless them if you destined for them to marry? I pray you'd give them wisdom this morning, the eyes to see, the heart to perceive. Give them wisdom to choose your choice for them, to find that in life. Over every person here, we speak the great blessing of God.